Hey guys, welcome back to The Passive Hang, a conversation featuring movement practitioners, featuring their stories and insights from practice. On today's episode, I've got David Marion, who comes from the handstand hotspot of Perth. We're going to dive straight in. My name's Fayon. Here we go. Yeah, so my journey is a bit of a funny one. I, um, I, uh, I guess starting at the very start, um, yeah, was the oldest child with like very young sort of parents and um because they had me so young they just kind of always behind uh behind a little bit financially and so I never really got to take part in much in the way of sport um always did my best or they did their best and I did my best to try and do what I could um but most of my um early physical education was just whatever was provided at school a little bit of I went to a very um social gymnastics sort of class I guess you'd call it we all just kind of jumped around and did some shit I, I never touched a piece of apparatus or anything like that and that's why I'm, I say I wasn't a gymnast but um I kind of went to a yeah recreational gymnastics class I suppose um a little bit of martial arts stuff um which a lot of it was uh, I used to go and stay with my cousin and uh roll around on the floor with him but trying to emulate what we saw in movies and stuff like that. We'll do like James Bond marathons and practice stupid scenes and all sorts of silly shit like that. And then I um, had a bit of a love affair with my trampoline and I would spend hours and hours and hours on there just uh, living in my head, jumping around, trying to teach myself stuff, which didn't eventuate um, into any sort of big girls. Um, I just taught myself the very kind of basic sort of stuff, but I just love being out there and in the sun and jumping on the tramp. So um, that was... Yeah, all my sort of sporting background up until I was uh, 15 and I started uh, playing cricket and uh, I played, I think, 11 or 12 seasons um, and pursued that pretty hard. Um, I got pretty burnt out at the end and um, poor sort of training habits and just um, not very mindful sort of training. I was towards the end, I was pursuing a lot of like powerlifting style training as well. Um, trying to do that and play cricket and do a bit of um, I was doing a bit of Muay Thai and stuff like that Um, yeah I just my back kind of gave up on me in the end Um, I was in pain all the time I just folding forward to touch my kneecaps was enough to um, give me pretty severe sort of burning pain in my back and I was still relatively flexible a lot of like physio that I spoke to a bit was kind of like I don't know man like maybe you need to get some scans and stuff you're like you're flexible you can touch your toes I don't know why your back would be hurting bending forward like that um when it all came down to lots of twisting and then adding high volume sort of weight training on top of a bit of a shitty lower back that was very used to twisting in one direction only just kind of made it get very sore but I had a huge long list of injuries um I had a bunch of concussions in my late teens um just from all sorts of random stuff. It wasn't really always sport. Um, but, but yeah, I had five over the course of three years and um, had some That's problems because of that. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, dived in a 90 centimeter deep pool and split my head, had my nose smashed with a Ooh. cricket bat, um, fell on my head playing king of the pack, like all sorts of stuff. Um, but had that, I um, yeah, had a whole bunch of back problems, had stress fractures in my feet and ankles from cricket. Um, I had a knee reconstruction and then a follow-up surgery to clean up the knee when I retore the meniscus. Severely dislocated right shoulder that I lost the ability to throw for a while and um, has kind of affected being a little bit uneven in my 
uh, handstand skills from time to time, but I think I've kind of evened that out now. Um, yeah, broken thumb, um, cracked my sternum when I was a teenager, um, tore my trap, like throwing a ball from the boundary playing cricket. I tore my trap and uh, so I actually think that, sorry? Uh, so you've really ended up throwing your body around. I mean, some people have a yeah, few, man, I, uh, but you know, that's quite a list. Yeah, got a pretty extensive list, list and I had four years of pretty severe um, golfer's elbow as well. From when I first got on a set of rings, I thought I was pretty strong and tried to do a couple of crosses, which which was an acute acute problem and then turned into a chronic one when I didn't rest it. So, um, yeah, I've had, had a big... And there lots of other minor ones. I tore my hamstring four times after having my knee reconstruction and deciding to get flexible. Um, just trying to load heaps of weight on my back doing pancake good mornings. And um, so I guess, yeah, I've just always been one of those guys to throw myself around a bit. Yeah, th this would be, um, I guess, more interesting for people listening if they jump onto your page as well at, I guess, some of the feats of strength and flexibility that you're currently doing at the moment. And, and hearing this list, I guess, it goes very counter towards, you know, normally when someone encounters an injury, it's very mental as well. And you kind of inhibit yourself yeah. from pushing yourself to such great levels as well. So it's really great to hear that, you know, even from the face of that adversity, you were still able to overcome that and then get to where you are now. Yeah, I think I've just never really dwelled on it too much. And I've approached injuries very differently to most people. Um, when I have been injured, I've never been one to like rest, ice, elevate. I've hated all that sort of stuff. Um, I tried it a little bit because I was advised that I really should with my knee reconstruction and I felt that it kind of hindered me a little bit. Um, and yeah, I've always pursued trying to move through um, as much range as I can without pain um, and try to encourage blood flow and I've tried to focus on eating better. And I think that that's a huge thing. A lot of people, when they get injured, end up sitting on their ass and probably getting a little bit down and eating some shit food, which um, we're only human, but it's not doing the best thing for helping our body recover. So, um, yeah, I've just always, yeah, I've just... I don't know. I just haven't thought about it too much. Just kind of got on with shit and the body is pretty good at uh, healing itself and getting back to doing its thing. We're an amazingly resilient animal. So I think, um, yeah, I've just never really dwelled on it too much um, past that initial sort of disappointment, I suppose. Mm, I like that. It's like, you know, um, you've addressed the mental side just with that, that mindset approach of just saying, you know, it's going to be all right. And then just finding ways that you can yeah. keep on moving as well. And I do want to dig into that. Yeah. Maybe some of um, that stuff a bit later, especially, you know, if uh, I know wrist injuries and shoulder injuries are very common, you know, with people getting into gymnastics, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff um, would love to hear your approach uh, as to what to do when, or when that happens. But, you know, I guess going back yeah. to your journey, you said you were, you know, uh, you got into cricket quite heavily um, yep. and then you started adding on the layer of power. Yeah, I, yeah. yep. um, I, I guess at what stage then did you start shifting to this mode of training? Did that come on slowly or after cricket? Yeah. Maybe take us to that point in your life. Yeah. I am. Um, so uh, I had initially got, um, I guess, fascinated with gymnastics and body weight early on. Um, and I never made the kind of, commitment to it because I always felt like it was something for people that did gymnastics and that sort of thing. And I felt like I was probably a little bit too big, a little bit too, like I'm naturally not very strong. Um, so I just felt like it was probably never 
the thing for me. And um, there was a guy that um, I did a bit of his um, like programs and his books called Ross Inamite. And uh, yeah, did a lot of his sort of body weight stuff, which was seemed more achievable. It was like lots of ab wheel rollouts and weighted pull-ups and all that sort of thing and um, had reasonably good results of that. And I think having that early introduction of um, doing even just those two things, I think are huge beneficial sort of movements to add to that basic sort of powerlifting style training. Um, so I had a bit of background there and then um, it was just always in the back of my mind. I, I remember seeing some monsters um, highlight reel in the early days of Facebook being around and just like watching it 20 times over and um, just thinking like, it must be so cool to have that kind of confidence in your own body and that kind of strength that you just own yourself so much. Um, and I think that was always the thing that like why I wanted to be able to handstand, why I want to be able to get on the rings, all that sort of thing, just that confidence to own your body so well. And that's why I love the trampoline and all that sort of thing too. Um, so then I got to about, uh, 23, 24 was when my body started to really like struggle. Um, and like I was, I was strong at the time. I was flexible enough for the average person, I suppose, but, um, just lots of niggles started adding up and my penchant for doing kind of dumb birthday challenges and that sort of thing caught up to me. And I think the last big one that I did was my 26th birthday. Um, and that's when I really kind of finally decided to make the change and kind of drop weight training completely. I, um, so my birthday's in August and yeah, by December I'd stopped weight training completely. Um, I did a thing for my birthday that I tried to do, uh, 2,600 kilo back squats on my 26th birthday. <laughs> um, I was about to ask you about these birthday challenges. You mentioned that, you know, they were kind of a, a little bit silly. So did you always put something like, okay, I'm going to do, X amount of pull-ups or lift X amount of weight by my birthday? Yeah. Yeah. So the 26th one I, I did, um, I think the three were, I tried to do 26, 10 kilo weighted chin-ups, 26 body weight bench presses and 26 hundred kilo back squats. Um, and the, I think I just missed the weighted chins. I think I got like 22 or 23, which is not bad with 10 kilos. Um, and then the benches, I think I got, um, and then the back squats, I got 24, but I was so pissed that I didn't get it, that I, um, unracked the weight and was like nearly blacking out for like, I think I took two breaths and then held my breath and did two, two more reps, but all the pressure in the back of my neck and head from like holding my breath through so much of the set and having the weight on me caused like some kind of bruising in the blood vessels in my neck and like the base of my skull. And I, um, uh, suffered pretty severe headaches for about six weeks um, and couldn't really get my heart rate or my blood pressure up for a little bit because it, yeah, bruised so bad. Wow. So have you always had this capacity to really, to, to push yourself this hard? Like I think for a lot of people, you know, they would kind of just stop. Yeah. I've always kind of um, had that uh, like dog in me, I suppose. I remember when I was about 11 or 12 going on holidays um, with my cousins and they're all a few years older than me and uh, much, much bigger and played basketball and stuff. And we tried playing some basketball and um, we played for about 30 minutes. And by the time we finished, I was like dry reaching because um, I'd pushed myself so hard trying to keep up with them. Mm. And um, I remember my stepdad came over. He's like, you've got like some kind of animal inside your man. Like, I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen someone try, try so hard to like, 
win a casual game of basketball. And I was just like, I don't know, just, yeah, I just want to win. Um, and yeah, I guess I've just always, I, like, I got a pretty high pain tolerance and I just, just really competitive. Um, I love the kind of contest, mm. um, whether it's against myself or against somebody else. That was part of what I loved about cricket. Like I loved uh, walking out and opening the batting and knowing there was a guy like running in and trying to take my head off. Like I, I just love that challenge. I guess that's quite interesting because, you know, the challenge going from cricket to then, you know, something like body weight, um, it's very internal against yourself, right? Like you don't really have like yeah. a, com- a competitor. Uh, was that, uh, was that something that came easily to you? It just, you were like, okay, you know, n- now I'm just going to take on myself. Cause I guess it's quite a flip in frame in perspective. Yeah. I think, um, I think because of a lot of what had sort of happened uh, alongside what was going on physically with me, but along uh, what was happening in the rest of my personal sort of life, it was um, a good sort of change to get away from being very outwardly competitive and sort of um, be a bit more inwardly competitive against myself and um, spending time kind of pushing myself physically and having time in my brain to sort through life and, all that sort of thing. Uh, it was just a, a good period of my life to do it, I suppose. Um, maybe if I'd tried to do it when I was younger, I wouldn't have been as successful. Um, mm. I think, um, yeah, now I've got back into playing footy because I, I wanted some outward competition again. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, just again, like one of those things, I just don't really think about it too much. I think um, I get pretty animated when I'm training and yeah, yell at myself and swear and throw shit sometimes. And I think uh, that goes against what a lot of people like to see from it, like what we sort of do with training. I think a lot of people kind of come from that yoga sort of background and um, they're all about positivity and nice things, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's not me really. I'm, I'm a bit of a uh, angry dude inside. So um, yeah. yeah, I guess there is a doubt. A little bit of that, I don't know if it's stereotype or this model behavior, which is like, you know, you're almost like this Zen monk that walks in, you know, you do a extremely well-balanced handstand where you're at peace, everything's silent, everything's calm. It happens. It's the perfect set. You come down and, you know, you're almost like no exertion. And then, and then that's yep. it. Um, but I think we can all remember probably when we're at university days and we're, we're, we're going into the gym and there's always, you know, some big guy in the corner who's grunting, kind of shouting mm-hmm. between, between sets. And that's like the reality, right? Like this, you're going yeah. in there, you're pushing. And sometimes these, these things just happen that come out from your body yep. as well. For sure, man. Like I, I remember before going for a max effort deadlifts or squat, sometimes I would slap myself on the cheek and it would like leave a, a good handprint. I just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> something inside that takes over and you need a little bit of violence to get the job done. So, well, yeah. as you, as you said, maybe you just need to evoke a little bit of animal within yourself and then, you know, that can yeah, for sure. the new limits. <laughs> um, so yeah. you mentioned you were starting to get into this body weight training and then, yeah, was there a moment when you decided, okay, I'm going to get um, a bit serious? Because uh, were you involved in, I guess, the fitness or coaching industry before? Or were you working at different types yeah. of jobs? What happened there? Um, yeah, I've worked uh, all sorts of different jobs, but I've been um, coaching various in various kind of capacities for uh, a fair while now. I coached a cricket team when I was 
18. I think that was kind of my first foray into coaching. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think I had a conversation with somebody at cricket. Um, yeah, a friend of mine's dad, I remember he came out uh, after I was bowling to him in the nets and he said to me that he really thought I could um, improve a lot as a player if I like went to the gym and got a bit stronger and that sort of thing. And that's sort of what really influenced me to go and start getting into that. And then seeing the benefits of that, I really wanted to be able to kind of do that sort of thing for somebody else as well. Um, and that's what sort of made me really consider leaving uni and um, going to do my PT course. So um, yeah, I left halfway through um, studying conservation of wildlife biology mm. and um yeah, saved up some money working at a pizza place and then did my PT course and that was 2010 um, and then moved up to Carnarvon 2011 and pretty much immediately started personal training. It's been my main sort of focus uh, in its various sort of capacities, whether it was just regular sort of PT and then moving into um, yeah coaching various movement and handstands and that sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, 2015, I started coaching gymnastics and I moved back to Perth. Mm. Um, and then I've also coached uh, athletics and now I've just started getting involved with teaching pole vaulters gymnastics as well. So uh, I've got, yeah, coaching experience across a few sports and um, as well as, yeah, being a personal trainer. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that time that I started getting into bodyweight training and I took up a um, coaching job in Perth, coaching gymnastics kind of properly. And that's when I really decided that I was going to um, dive deep into bodyweight training. And after a few years of that, of setting the base and I was doing the gymnastic body stuff back then, um, I think middle of 2016, I sort of really wanted to get more into hand balancing specifically, um, which was going well. Um, but I used to use a, a bit of a cupped hand sort of technique in my handstands and that caused me all sorts of elbow and wrist grief once I started really pushing it. So uh, end of 2017, I had to take a short break and let uh, all the inflammation and stuff die down because um, I had really upset my left wrist in particular mm. and then kind of restarted the whole process about making sure I didn't have any flat hands. So I built up to a two and a half minute handstand and then I had to start back from about 10 seconds at a time with flat hands because I couldn't do it. <laughs> wow. You had um, to, you had to go all the way back to the beginning. That must've been really tough. Yeah, it was, but, um, it, like I could keep my hand flat for 10 seconds and then it would just lift up and then I would do like another 10, 20 seconds with the palm lifted, but I kept, um, being conscious of the fact that I wanted to keep it down. And over time that just got better and better. And I started doing a bit more wrist mobility and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that once I was, constantly doing most of my work sets with a flat palm, most of my wrist and elbow issues stopped. Mm. Um, so anyone out there that listens that uh, uses cupped hands and gets grief in the wrist or elbow, I yeah, recommend making the change. Yeah. I, this cupped hand thing, I've, I've heard about this a little bit, but I haven't really experienced yeah. it my, my, myself. So I guess it, I guess this is this one of the finer points when you start learning the handstand in a bit more depth that you go, oh, okay, like just the the way that you support yourself from your basis support. Um, yeah, you know, I think various um, ways to do it. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to comfort, and for the average person just learning, say a minute handstand and maybe a press, it probably doesn't really make that much of a difference because um, you're probably not going to spend 
hours each day on your hands. But I think as you get stronger and you're spending more time on your hands and you're producing more force and that sort of thing and going through greater ranges, I think it probably becomes a bit more important. But there are exceptions to the rule that, um, yeah, keep doing it and don't have any discomfort. So I think a lot of it is obviously going to be contextual. Mm. Um, but, yeah, for me, I, I definitely needed to make the change. So, um, so what was your path sort of in learning when you, you said you jumped into gymnastics? Um, you know, did you have any exposure into this whole, you know, movement culture as well? And maybe... No, I've sort of moved sideways into the movement culture, I suppose. Um, definitely was gymnastics first. And I obviously was, I'd seen the Edo videos and rewatched them, same as Simon's videos. Um, that kind of the early days of YouTube and seeing those sort of highlight reels was just fascinating. Um, but just never made the commitment to jump into that, I suppose. Um, and then it wasn't until uh, I started wanting to train handstands a bit more seriously and I got involved with the Perth sort of handstand and movement scene a lot more um, that, yeah, then I really started getting into it a bit more and broadening my understanding of, yeah, movement in general, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I've played around with a lot of bits and pieces. I, I don't, I wouldn't ever say I'm a movement student, but I don't think I'm a gymnastics student. I don't think I'm a hand balancer. Like I don't really call myself anything. I'm just a guy that likes doing things and I'm just kind of fascinated by the human body and moving around in general. So um, I guess yeah. when people come to you for coaching them, um, what do you describe it that, that you specialize <laughs> or, or that you teach? <laughs> Uh, shit talking mostly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I suppose I'm pretty happy to coach anything. I've, um, yeah, like if somebody wants to come to me and focus on weight training, I've got, I know a a guy's still doing some of my, um, like weight training programming. Um, I do teach strictly handstands and, um, I've done like more specialized mobility programs. Um, I've done body weight strength. I've done little little bits of everything. I've done full programming as well, much like I might program for myself. Um, so I've done little bits and pieces. Um, uh, yeah, it's really hard to explain. I, I suppose my main sort of focus coaching-wise at the moment is coaching gymnastics. I um, share coaching duties with another couple of guys with a, um, well, it's kind of like a squad of uh what is it about 18 kids that splits in two. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, yeah, my main sort of coaching gig. Um, and then, yeah, I've got random classes all over the place and PT Mm -hmm. sessions and whatever else. So yeah, just do a bit of everything, honestly. Yeah. I guess, uh, it's interesting that with the gymnastics, how you, um, coach a group of, of younger kids. What do you notice uh, between the differences with coaching? Yeah. I guess people of a younger age versus maybe someone who approaches you and is a bit older. Um, yeah. What, how, how do you sort of approach that? Um, I really like having the, yeah, the kind of dichotomy with my coaching because the kids are obviously competitive and you've, you've got like a, an end point a lot of the time with having a competition season and all that sort of thing. So it's, um, it's probably a more stressful kind of coaching um, where, yeah, the you're going to have results either go your way or not go your way, which is cool. Um, and I love the sort of relationships that I get to make with my gymnasts because um, I'm spending such like I'm with them 15 hours a week. So, um, yeah, they kind of like kids of your own in a way. Um, 
and yeah, seeing them sort of grow up. Like I met most of the kids when they were between kind of eight and 11, I suppose. And now they're 14, 15, 16. Um, it's yeah, been a really cool journey kind of going along that with them and seeing them grow as people. And um, that's really cool. Um, the big difference, I suppose, with that and average sort of um, person that I work with that's a bit older is just that, yeah, lack of competition. And it's you get to kind of examine more what their um, personal sort of desire is in terms of movement. There's a lot more flexibility there. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's nice not having that competitive pressure, I suppose, for all of my coaching. I like I wouldn't want that for 30 plus hours a week. It's nice having it, but it's nice to also leave it too. I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before about that internal versus external pressure, right? Like, um, with with the adult, I I guess in some cases, you know, having that external goal or setting, you know, that's why maybe some people train for the triathlon or the marathon, right? It gives you really something to to aim for where if everything's on Mm. the table, it's a little bit hard to choose sometimes, right? Because you could work on anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think, I haven't had any adults that have had specific time frames like that, um, especially given now that I'm more working on mobility and handstands, like I'm not going to be coaching somebody to go join, join the circus. So um, there's not really any other purpose to try and get it done by a particular time. You just train and you get it when you get it. And that's how handstands work. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to do a more um, specific timeline approach with a, an adult that's competitive I suppose the hard thing is that um, it's not as much of a clean slate as kids are and you're, you're dealing with more variation in uh, background with trying to develop skills, whether it's injuries or commitment and stress levels, all that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess it, it come, becomes a little bit more complex, right? Just because as we grow older as well, all these competing ideas, the more ideas we have, I think the more confusing it can make us as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, yeah, a hard thing with coaching, um, yeah, the adult population, I suppose, versus gymnasts is like when I go to gymnastics, the kids know that I'm there to teach them gymnastics and gymnastics related skills. Like we're going to work on getting strong, flexible, whatever. Um, with handstands and that sort of thing, a lot of adults don't really see the relationship. Um, and they, I think a lot of them come in with preconceived sort of ideas of what you're going to teach and how you're going to teach and that sort of thing. And they can be a little bit thrown off by um, it not being the way they expect it. Um, Mm. They have, yeah, very preconceived notions of uh, like thinking they're going to rock up to a handstand class and we're going to spend 60 minutes working on your core strength, which, (laughs) yeah, you're wasting your time if you do that. I guess this is a good um, chance to start diving into, you know, how you teach and maybe we can start with handstands. Um, you know, you yeah. mentioned that you, you teach quite a few classes, people approach you for handstands sort of coaching, you know, if someone was to join in on a class, what would a handstand class with, with you look like? What would you run them through? Um, so any kind of specific mobility work, um, obviously working on, being able to not only open their shoulders enough, but elevate them enough. So lots of kind of hanging and work, uh, hanging work um, and wrist mobility. And then obviously the hip mobility that is relevant down the track. So a little bit of front split and pike work, 
bit of pancake and middle split. Um, and then for anyone that might be a bit more advanced, I might take them through the kind of side mobility for flagging and one arm sort of work. Um, and then other than that, a lot of it is developing the mental understanding of how a handstand works and how you actually stand exactly the same as you do on your feet. Because I think once you become aware of why you're doing certain drills and how they work, you've got a much kind of greater training response because you're generally going to be focusing on the right things. Mm. Um, and the big one I try and get across to everyone at first is it's just center of mass on base of support. If your center of mass is on your base of support, your inner handstand, it doesn't matter uh, how high or low your center of mass is, how ugly your legs are, whether that your toes are pointed or not, your elbows are bent, whatever. If you're maintaining that you are in some variety of handstand, obviously some of them are much harder and, um, yeah, more difficult than others. Obviously holding that perfectly straight line is going to be pretty tough for some, but you are still training your hands and your awareness to some degree, like even in a crop. Um, so understanding that first and then sort of the role of what keeps your center of mass on top of your base of support. So as you start going to overbalance, making sure you understand that your fingers operate the same way as your toes and your feet. And then when you fall backwards, your elbows and your shoulders are going to operate the same way that your knees and your hips do. It's the same kind of movements. It's just we haven't spent our lifetimes on our hands. So it's, it takes a lot longer to sort of build up that relationship. But your hands just want to become like your feet if you want to handstand effectively. Mm. Um, so making people understand that and then why certain things are harder and why certain things are easier. So a straight, like beautiful, tall, straight handstand is... Uh, quite efficient on your shoulders because you're in a nice, um, like everything stacked within your base of support, but it's very taxing on the fingers because your center of mass is so tall. It's a much longer lever for your fingers to be balancing. Whereas if you let it, if you drop into a tuck, for example, um, the center of mass is much lower in a tuck, but also you've got a lot of mass outside your base of support, especially on the palm side. So your shoulders have to work really hard to keep uh, your body balancing. Um, but the lever is shorter than a, a full handstand. So it's a little bit lighter for your hands to balance. Mm. Um, but then it is, it is a little bit more difficult in the sense that you don't have a lot of corrections that you can make throughout the rest of your body to balance too. So you kind of localizing the corrections to your hand, but you're also making it slightly easier on your hand. So um, that's why all the different shapes are uh, important in some way um, on two arms and on one arm. They, that, those same principles work in a one arm too. When you're doing a one arm straddle versus a one arm tuck versus a one arm straight, all those basic positions have different things that they strengthen are an important part of your development. Yeah, I really love that. Uh, how you've uh, have how you've put it there. You know, just relating to my experience. Um, you know, definitely in the tuck. You know, you feel it everywhere, and your 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 upper back and everything's burning. And I guess that that draws my attention away from what's happening at the fingers, right? Because it's just like yep. <laughs> it's so intense there. But then, you know, I I feel as my handstand and my straight handstand is developing, and um, I, I do some of the on the wall drills as well. Then yeah, like because yep. it transfers all through your through your hands. Like I thought my wrists were strong, but then there's always like levels to it. Right. And then you're like, ah, oh. yeah, man. And now my, now my fingers like are not strong enough again. And yet you walk away and they're just burning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like 
on two arms, you've kind of got the option of going down the, the strength route and focusing more on the strength skills or um, more on endurance. And yeah, both have specific levels of conditioning that you need to sort of go through. Um, I, I don't know how anyone can follow the endurance route a whole lot. I find that mind numbing. Like mm-hmm. a, today I started training with a three minute handstand and I don't know how people could want to do any more than that regularly. But um, yeah, that's definitely a whole lot different. Like that's so many levels different to a one minute handstand. It's hard for people to kind of grasp that. They think it's just three minutes, like three minutes is three times harder than one minute. But um, yeah. It's a, it's a long time. A lot different. And, and it's a mental battle as well, right? Like um, Mm. I just, I find it when you're staring at the clock as well, it's like, it's, I kind of probably feel like it's better just to stare at the ground rather than to stare at that timer because it really puts you off. Um, but I'm keen, yeah. to, I'm keen to hear for these uh, progressions. Like you said, there's strength route and there's endurance route. Maybe, you know, when you structure like handstand progress from like the two arm mm-hmm. ha- handstand, what are the shapes or progressions or steps that you normally like to teach people in what order? Um, so, starting from like a raw beginner. So you've got someone, we'll, we'll say they're strong enough to go stomach to wall. Not everyone is, but we're just going to say that's the starting point. Cause that's probably more your average. Yep. Um, I immediately start getting people to understand heel pulls and toe pulls. Um, they're kind of your two foundational. Yeah. Either side of the um, pendulum for balance. Um, a lot of sort of kick up work to the wall to try and ensure a kind of consistent kick up where they understand not kicking the shit out of the wall, but also making it to handstand. Um, and I start working on tuck work immediately because I just find doing that extra strength training for your handstand early on, um, even though you can't balance it, you can still do like stomach to wall tuck drills. Mm. Um, and you can really kind of condition the shoulder and start building up some good elevation and, learning how to disengage through the lower back a lot because uh, early on people want to kind of arch um, quite a bit. And so understanding, relaxing that kind of part of the body because that will free up a lot of movement once you can balance your handstand. Um, And then once you can do like a heel and toe pull off the wall for over 10 seconds consistently, you'll generally find that you can start balancing a little bit of freestanding time, but you're not ready to move all of your training away from the wall. Um, so I keep people on the wall until they can heel pull and toe pull like 30 seconds with reasonable sort of consistency, um, and hold a nice sort of, at least just past horizontal tuck on the wall, um, with their hands a bit like palms about the distance of their feet from the wall. That's just kind of the rough measure. Um, if they can't do that, but they can still balance and I allow them to balance away from the wall. Um, but they still continue working tucks against the wall and a little bit freestanding just to try and continue refining that. Cause I find that hugely beneficial for almost every kind of handstand based movement. Having that deeper tuck is yeah, pretty important. So, um, yeah. once they're there, then it's starting to understand just, uh, being able to move the, legs and hips independently of the shoulders and not reacting through the rest of the body. Um, so starting to do some shape work, just doing the regular straight straddle diamond tuck, straight straddle diamond tuck, trying to build up series of that because doing five reps of that for a beginner is generally going to be up around the minute handstand. So um, obviously they're just working on straight holds, but they're starting to incorporate some shapes. And then generally they'll start um, getting up towards that minute 
um, once they're doing a few rounds of those shapes. So um, I have them doing that and starting to work on um, straddle press progressions, generally off boxes or starting to understand it against the wall. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of whatever people want to do. If they want to focus more on strength skills, working on handstand push-up and 90-degree push-up and whatever else, then I give them like eccentrics and shoulder stand holds and those sort of drills to start building that. If they want to work on stalder, then we start learning a pike press and the straddle L position and pike pull-throughs. Uh, if they want to start learning one arms, then we start doing more deep tuck and seven work so that your shoulder can deal with um, your legs being on the palm side a lot more you'll probably find that your early one arms you're going to have your legs like your hips piped quite a bit mm. um so doing a lot more refining the um the head in and tuck in seven positions and flags um and starting to do like a bit of block walking and understanding really high elevation because you don't really need all that elevation for um the calisthenic sort of skills like Stalders and handstand push-ups, but uh, you definitely want to be understanding how to push more for a one arm. So, um, just a bit of yeah, general kind of conditioning for that, and then starting to do piano holds. And I've got a couple of um, um, like series on how to build like a one arm and how to build a stalder and stuff on my Instagram that I did for a little bit because I got a lot of questions about it. So, just kind of the progressions I use are on there. They're IGTV thing. Um, and yeah, if people want to chase more endurance, then it's just a case of just doing a bit of extra like wall conditioning for longer than you probably would um, with most. So even if they've got a minute freestand, they might still be going over to do rounds of wall walks and that sort of thing and just get used to spending more time on their hands. Um, and then starting to do like minute on, minute off sort of work um, for their two arm and just gradually decreasing rest a little bit, increasing the work intervals a little bit, that sort of thing. So it's nothing like, I don't know, it's not rocket surgery. You're just going to kind of move in the direction you want to go. It's the way I've just always treated my training as well. Like I just find something I want and just do the things that seem sort of relevant and eventually you get there. I like how you say it like this, like it's not rocket science or su surgery because... <laughs> rocket I, surgery. <laughs> yeah, rocket, that's, a, that's a new one, by the way. Um, yeah. But I guess sometimes when you know you're on your own personal journey and something seems so impossible right like especially like press work right it, when you mm -hmm. first start doing it it's just like it, it's almost inconceivable to think that you can just lift your legs up but then it just sort of happens yeah, man. Yeah. um i yeah I, I guess when you you lay it out like how you've done it it kind of just just kind of makes sense right you just you just work on what you want to work on and eventually you'll get it but um you know yep. with uh some of this strength work do you earmark like certain standards or goals like you mentioned off the wall you normally like to see x amount of heel pulls and toe pulls um but do you do you normally look for something before starting like say straddle press work or solder press work or one-arm handstand work yeah this there's, there's yeah so marks. straddle press um i think i don't know of anyone that has a 10 second tuck planche a good tuck handstand and a flat pancake that can't straddle press so i sort of use those three as my parameters for whether or not somebody's getting closer to pressing um obviously the first part of a press handstand you've got the bit of planching you're using your pancake sort of mobility to press up and then how much weight your shoulders can tolerate coming down and that press is going to coincide pretty strongly with how much you can tolerate on the way down in a straddle too so um for example yeah i just look for 
if somebody wants to be able to straddle press, we aim for those three things, 10 seconds in a horizontal tuck at least, um, 10 seconds in a tuck planche, and then a flat pancake on the floor. Um, and obviously some ability to be able to lift up in compression when you're on the floor, but when you're in a handstand, how well you can press isn't going to be the same as how well you can press when your hands are on the floor in that horizontal position because you're more vertical. So um, I don't find it as important to have hugely um, impressive compression on the floor, at least for a straddle press, for a stall, it needs to be better um, because the direction of gravity is 90 degrees different. So um, yeah, they're sort of markers I look for. If you want to do a handstand push-up, um, I think being able to do like five reps of reasonably good um, pseudo planche push-ups, being able to hold a um, shoulder stand without your shoulders resting on the bars and being able to support um, free of your shoulders on the bars or the boxes or whatever you're doing. Um, and just being able to, you can test someone whether they can control an eccentric down the wall and you can see whether or not they need to do some other supplementary work. Um, yeah, I, I think pressed handstands is a bit of a funny one because not many people actually do that much planche work that like want to get a press. Most people just are doing um, only very press specific drills rather than working on both end, both ends of that spectrum of the press. Yeah. Obviously hmm. One end of the spectrum is just going straddle planche to handstand. And then the other end of the spectrum is doing like a perfect middle split swim through on your hands. So um, your everyone's press fits somewhere in that continuum and you can approach both sides of the continuum. There's no reason to only train one side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I know for me when, um, like it first happened, I think it was after I was doing like a lot of tuck planche work and then, you know, you just mm -hmm. let, let the planche happen to yeah. to lean forward. And then it's like magic, you know, that, that, that floating yeah. feeling happens after so long of just going, nothing's happening. You know, you kind of hop up and then you just fall over. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. My, um, I didn't follow any sort of program to get my first press. I, uh, I had a driveway that where I lived at the time that was, on a bit of a slope, but the slope went from like a big slope to a little slope at the end. And so I just started um, trying to do like little hovers at the top of the slope. So it was kind of like an incline press. And then as I got stronger, I just moved down the driveway and it took me like four months to get my first press. And I wasn't even like, a, a, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't really even training specific body weight stuff. I just did that on my driveway like 50 times a day. I literally would just like go out. I'd have my coffee at like 5.30 in the morning because I was living in Broome. So it was like, beautiful to get up in the morning and go sit outside at that time of morning and I'd go out and um, if I felt like I needed to stretch my wrists I would otherwise I'd just try to press a bunch of times while I drank coffee and then I'd go in and do some stuff for the day and I might come home from work and do it again and I just did that heaps. Um, <laughs> I love that it's like you know you want it just go try and find some way to start doing it and then it will it will happen. Yeah. Because I guess yeah. you know, with all these sort of skills sometimes you, you always there's like especially when you go on Instagram, right? There's all these different like ways, tricks, uh, methods of going, okay, this is how, how to get it right. But maybe the simplest approach like you've done just works. Yeah. I find that very true for one arms. And I think it's like such an interesting time in human history, I suppose that we've got like almost the entirety of human knowledge available to us, like in our pockets at any time, as long as our phone's kind of charged up and we've got signal, um, we can access 
almost anything we like. Um, not much of human knowledge isn't available. Um, it's mm. yeah, pretty crazy. And yet we seem more paralyzed by that knowledge. Um, and we allow ourselves to procrastinate and get distracted and all sorts rather than using it to move forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit uh, odd. I like that point. It's like at, at some point that information and over-education just stops you from taking that direct action that you need to take and just, just do the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like in the end, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. You just need to learn it in, in some way. Just, just go and try it. Yeah. Like our body is so amazingly adaptive that like even subpar training will still get you there at some point. Um, it's more a matter of consistency and mm. the kind of willingness to push and having good logical progressions and good coaching and technical advice and all that sort of stuff definitely goes a long way. And that's why I like what I do. Cause I can see it makes a difference, but, um, I also try to reinforce to people that, um, like you just kind of got to shut the fuck up and do some work. <laughs> Are there any um, mental tips that you like to pass on to your students sometimes with the handstand? Cause you know, sometimes a lot to do is with belief, right. Or, or the, yeah. or what's running through your head. Do you, do you tell them anything? Um, it depends on the person. So some people are really good at kind of eking out um, everything out of their abilities. Um, I think, um, and you generally see they're the ones that end up uh, doing relatively well because they quickly jump out from the crowd. So if you get those sort of people in your class, it's always good. You don't really need to tell them much. You just sort of allow them to do their thing. You tell them what they need to do, what you want to see from them, and they get to work. Um, But I think you see a lot of people that um, really suffer from a lack of um, belief of being able to actually do the thing. Like they've attached such a mysticism to standing on your hands that it's like unfathomable that they could ever do it. And so just trying to break that down and just tell them like, it's just a handstand. It's not, there's no significant difference to standing on your feet other than the fact that the structure isn't kind of uh, as stable. Like your hands aren't as strong as your legs, uh, as your feet and your forearms aren't as strong as your calves and whatever else. So um, sure. It's a little bit more impressive, but it's, there's no, in terms of physics, there's not really any great differences there. You just got to train your body to do it. Just like when you're a kid and you learn to walk, you just, um, you spend time on your feet and you get better at it and the body goes, Oh, this is something I need to do. So I better learn to do it. Um, yeah, there's not, (laughs) that's probably the the one, the one big thing that I try and get across to people. I can imagine though, sometimes trying to really explain that or get someone to understand that concept though, can be quite difficult, right? Because then they just, if you believe something, it's quite hard to, to rewrite that belief sometimes. Yeah. And I think for me, um, just like getting on my hands in front of them and showing them like, Hey, look, I'm not tensing my core. I'm in a completely loose handstand. Look at this. I can do it. I can talk. I can swing my legs around. Like this five years ago, I was you just, just stop like living in your head and look at what's in front of you and see that it's very possible. Like I'm not any sort of, I'm not that physically gifted or anything. I'm not um, that well built for handstands. I just spent time on my hands and I'm, I can do it now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've done that a lot and a lot of people get it. There's some people that don't like it and that's fine. They can go learn from somebody else if they don't like my sort of way of trying to help them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, do you see 
any other sort of uh, like common mistakes that uh, that people make um, within their own handstand journey? Yeah, I think um, being in, so for beginners, the big one is being tough on like as soon as you walk and the set, you don't learn to keep your center of mass on your base of support until you fight to keep your center of mass on top of your base of support. So if you're allowing yourself to walk, then you're not fighting to do it. So um, yeah, beginners stop walking, use the wall for a long period of time until you can actually get a decent training stimulus on your hands because um, just kicking up a, a handful of times, though it may work for the odd person, you're not going to get a good enough training stimulus for the average person. So um, getting on the wall and, um, yeah. And also if you are being spotted in drills, like you don't want to be upside down cuddling with someone, you need to be actually balancing a handstand and having them assist you with balancing the handstand. Too many people when they spot just hold you there. And, um, unfortunately adults don't have the same neural plasticity that kids do. Cause I think from gymnastics, I see that kids will learn to handstand by you holding them in a handstand. Whereas when you hold an adult in a handstand, they learn how to be held in a handstand. They don't actually learn to handstand. So um, that's definitely something that, yeah, I think a lot of people that kind of teach based on how they teach gymnastics, because there are some people out there that teach handstands that purely just do it from a gymnastic background. Um, I don't see it having the same amount of success as um, taking that into account. I think then for the um, intermediate sort of people, uh, when you're starting to learn to do a little bit, I think um, doing the work that gives you a larger pool of balance um, is hugely beneficial. So even if you're not that into handstand push-ups, you're not that into stall presses, whatever, just starting to really uh, bang your head against those drills for a bit and opening up um, ways for your body to balance outside of being perfectly stacked on your hands. I think that's something that I didn't do enough of early on and wish that I had. Um, but I eventually caught on and started doing my sets and reps. Um, and then, yeah, for the more advanced that are starting to learn to one arm, it's just don't, don't bother going for glory. Like nobody cares if you can stand on your hands for a fraction of a second and get a screenshot. Um, <laughs> you won't, you won't learn that way. Maybe like the yoga community will tell you you're amazing and all that sort of thing, but, um, it's dishonest and takes away from the art of actually standing on one hand. So if you want to stand on one hand, then do your time on your fingertips and do it for long, like longer and longer periods of time. Yeah. It's a little bit like that, that patience game, right? You know, you, if yep. it feels that you could be so close, but you know, you just need to, to trust in that process that it's going to, it's, it's still got a while to go. Yeah. And I think like, if you look at um, like I've, I can do 40 seconds on both sides. That's my PR now for like a straddle one arm. And I'm still doing fingertip time most days um, for straight and tuck because I don't feel I'm getting enough training volume when I actually um, try and hold the, the full um, or straight one arm and the tuck one arm. So um, I definitely do a bit of actually balancing on one arm there, but I just don't feel it's enough volume. So I'm still doing my fingertip time. If I can be doing my fingertip time, then yeah most people listen to this show as fuck could be doing their fingertip time. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good reminder for, for us all, you know, that, um, that reminds me of how, you know, for me as well, with just working on the straight to arm, like just spending more time on the wall always like pays back so much dividends when you take it back to freestanding, then you're like, Oh, this just 
this just feels easier now. Like I, I can go for longer. Yeah. 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 Just understanding like, especially once you can already balance a little bit using the wall to go back to, to refine little positions and like hip positions, shoulder positions, whatever it is. And just kind of refining things, maybe doing a bit of extra endurance, all those sort of little things and then try to take it away from the wall again. Um, it's always kind of good to check in. Mm. And what, what about this notion of like structural balance or like, can you just do handstand work or do you like to recommend other like pulling work or extension work um, to people who are like really avid handstanders? Uh, yeah. So I feel um, the same as Mr. Jack Rousseau. Uh, mm-hmm listening to his podcast the other day, that was good. Um, yeah, I'm very much along the same sort of lines of thinking. I don't really think it's that important. I think mm. you need to maintain some kind of overall integrity. Um, and I love pursuing all sorts of kind of skills across my entire body. Like I've worked on dragon pistols and Nordics and um, one arm chin and I still do front levers and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think if you can maintain um, enough of a decent ratio between pushing, pulling, extension, flexion, whatever. I think, yeah, you're, you're about as uh, safe as you can be. Um, I mm. don't think having like the typical fitness model that says you need certain amounts of pulling to balance out pushing and all that, that sort of thing is just garbage. Um, I do probably five times the amount of pushing that I do pulling and I, like I don't really suffer any ill effects because of it. Um, I think especially handstands is probably a little bit different to horizontal pushing all the time Um, because of the range you're taking your shoulder through and stuff. I think it's probably slightly different, but you've got to be probably a little bit more cognizant of risks on your wrist and elbows from doing so much more rather than postural concerns. So um, I think it like problems can arise, but you can be perfectly balanced and also have problems. So um, I don't think it's actually as important as a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah, I love this. This is just coming straight from the source, right? Uh, like you're a practitioner yourself who is probably biasing, you know, way towards one skill or, or the um, yep. vertic- vertical pushing um, and and uh, probably doing better than, you know, somebody who's anally trying to match every push with every pull and, you know, can't, can't break out yeah. of that model. Yeah, I think it's funny. Like I... So I do very little shoulder extension work. Um, Like every now and again, I might do a tiny bit, but I don't really stretch shoulder extension. I don't do, I don't do one tenth of work in shoulder extension that I do in flexion. Um, And yet, like I can still start, like I can on a good day after a bit of a stretch, do a a vertical V sit. And I've started like pressing my hips up off um, like forwards towards mana the other day. And, I'm still very sore from that, but, um, yeah, like I, I don't think it's that important. Like it, you just, as the body gets better at one thing, it actually gets better at a whole bunch of things, whether you like it or not. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of ranting. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that manner uh, attempt as well. It was very impressive. Yeah. So yeah. my, my first set was glorious compared to that. My feet got behind my head and I was like, Holy shit, I can do it. But <laughs> I got that, that massive like cramping sensation straight away. And then my triceps just were not the same. So uh, I'm hoping <laughs> over the coming weeks as they get a little bit more accustomed to their volume, I'll progress relatively quickly because I haven't really worked on it. Anything like that in about four years. So um, it'll be nice. Awesome. Well, be keenly watching that journey because, yeah, 
you know, the manner again, is just one of those skills that I think the first time I saw it, it, it like almost doesn't make sense. Right. You kind of like, what, what yeah. is, what is actually happening there? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, that, I think that was something that appealed to me more than the handstand initially. Um, just because of like, when I started, I was not flexible. Um, yeah, I did. I wasn't flexible. I could touch my toes. Um, um, I, I always had an okay-ish sort of middle split for somebody that didn't stretch. Um, but other than that, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a flexible person. Um, I was just kind of a little bit more active than the normal person. So I had a bit more range, but um, yeah, I couldn't touch my elbows in the floor in a pancake when I first started. So um, yeah. yeah so I guess, how, how did you end up getting, you know, so, so bendy, I, I liked how you put it in one of your posts. You were like, oh, I, I have like such nice open slat hips, <laughs> which yeah. I, had to, <laughs> yeah. I had to laugh My about. My friend Maisie said that to me the other day. Yeah. Um, cause we were comparing, she said, oh, I've got a nice pike, but you've got a good middle split cause you've got those nice slot hips. And I was like, thanks. That's, that's actually really nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of tortured myself a lot initially. Um, I just figured like I would either bend or break. So I just did lots of dumb, heavy stuff. I just have that attitude. And um, I don't know, I tore some stuff. I didn't tear other things. I got more flexible in some ways. And then at some point I had to change my training a little bit to actually start seeing some progress and got a bit smarter about it. So um, yeah, I, I did lots of weighted work for pancake initially um, and lots of like weighted middle split stuff against the wall. Um, lots of Jefferson curls. Jefferson curls have been a staple for a very long time. And I think, um, yeah, everyone should have a fair amount of Jefferson curl work in their program, uh, especially in the early days, maybe like four days a week for beginners. Not, not too heavy, just understanding moving the spine and going through flexion and getting that bit of posterior chain stretch. Um, and then like, yeah, I probably do it twice a week now, maybe once a week if I'm being a bit lazy. Um, and lots of hanging, lots of dorsal hanging, just, yeah, I think I remember trying to do a one minute German hang um, as like one of my first things. And I was like, I'm going to get my shoulders flexible. So I tried doing a one minute German hang and I remember being in agony from the doms for four <laughs> or five days from it. Um, I literally had like been in the position once or twice. And I was like, if I just squeeze my hands really hard, then I'm, then I'll just stay there. Um, so did you make it? Yeah, that was fun. All, all the way back around or did you, did you just let go of the bar? I had to let go. Of the, I was on the rings. I had to let go of the rings. I was no <laughs> way I was pulling out of that. Um, yeah, that was pretty unreal. Like considering I'd barely even touched a dorsal hang before I just look back at now. I'm like, most beginners struggle with getting their first minute hang on a bar. Like I hadn't even done any hanging on a bar for long periods of time. Um, just whatever I'd done as part of my chin up training and that sort of thing. Um, and just to jump straight into that was pretty dumb, but whatever I survived. I'm here. <laughs> Do you have um, any particular way that maybe you like to approach middle splits? Like uh, I noticed, you know, you got a pretty good one. Um, you, you said a little bit about weighted middle splits. How do you go? Oh, how do you like to coach your students now into getting the middle splits? Um, I think having a, a really strong focus on doing a bit of um, passive and active internal external rotation and just starting to understand um, the rotation of the hips because most people are pretty shit with any sort of rotation. Um, and then training it more like strength training, um, just strengthening both sides of the movement. 
um, I think is going to offer the greatest benefits. Um, you, you can go the purely passive route of just sitting there for long periods of time in a few different positions. And I think you do need to include those passive holds um, a little bit, but um, yeah, a lot more like partial range sort of sliders um, and uh, like Cossack sort of squats and all that sort of thing to try and build some, some strength through, through the structure. Uh, because then that way your body is going to be a little bit more convinced that it's okay to go through that range and you're not just trying to bend or break like I was initially. <laughs> um, and then just allowing time, like I, my middle splits um, are purely limited by kind of bony structure now. Like I get a bit of pinching on the outside of the hip that um, tends to be a fair bit better if I do a lot of internal, external work beforehand. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely... Yeah, it's just bone-on-bone bone kind of contact at the hip that really stops me. I don't really get any adductor stretch at all. So um, I think people are going to hit that at some point in their middle splits, depending on how their hip socket structure is. Mm. Um, and once you get to that point, it's just being pretty patient because you do see bony remodeling, um, but it happens over a very long period of time compared to the soft tissues. So um, I'm hopeful that I'll have a nice effortless flat middle split um, without anterior tilt one day. but uh, I'm probably, I don't know, five or 10 years from that. So whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it, it seems that, yeah, like all structures, even, even bone, right. Which I think when mm -hmm. like growing up as well, bone always seems to be like, you know, muscle is the one that you build, right. But bone is always yeah. the, the same. So, uh, mm, it's, sure. it's, not, it's nice to hear your views as well to, uh, to believe that it can be remodeled because yeah, I, I think so too. After, I guess it's what, what is hard though, is the commitment to positively stress your body in that way to promote yeah. that adaptation, which, you know, yeah, for bone, you need just that, enough it, sort of contact, yeah. but not so much that you yeah break yourself. So um, yeah, it definitely happens because like I haven't been limited by my, uh, adductors for about two and a half, three years now in middle splits, but I've still gotten flatter as the bone has and the tissue around that, like the deeper structures of the joint have gotten more um, tolerant of the position. So um, yeah, it, it must change. Otherwise I wouldn't have got flatter in my middle splits. <laughs> um, and maybe now jumping over a bit to like, uh, like preparation, warm up, that sort of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. how much time or focus do you normally spend on prepping before a session, you know, like wrists, shoulders, or maybe wrists in particular as well? Is there ever a point where you can just like not do wrist push-ups? Yeah, I didn't do any today. I just got on my hands and did three minutes. Um, but I've got like active 90 degree wrist extension um, and I was relatively warm from coaching on morning. So um, it all, it's very contextual. Like somebody that has poor wrist extension um, and like a lot of tension through the forearms and that sort of thing is going to want to give it a bit more of a stretch um, mm -hmm. and do some more of the first knuckle push-ups and all that sort of thing. Um, and having had like the, the early sort of background in the gymnastic body stuff where you're doing all those variety of wrist push-ups and conditioning for that, um, like I can do the full push-ups to fingertips and that sort of thing still without... Um, I don't have to do them anymore. So I've got enough kind of structural integrity there to do that base of work, I suppose. So it just, it, for me, it's a day-to-day -day basis. And for people I deal with, it just depends on 
yeah, their kind of individual structure and tension and yeah, readiness to go. Um, I know my wife, Alex, will sit on her wrists dicking about for 15 minutes before she trains, which frustrates me when we're trying to do stuff quickly, but that's <laughs> what she needs to do a handstand. So, um, yeah, no, just nice. different people need different things. It's nice to hear uh, because, yeah, I know, especially early on, you like spend so much time like doing these sometimes anal, you know, wrist drills, right? And you're like, oh, come on, like after a point, you know, I should just be able to jump on my hands, which I'm finding like um, now after a couple of a couple of years, you know, that that's starting to happen. But uh, I think yeah, I think wrists are wrists are definitely a little bit different um, to the rest of the body. I think where they won't. I don't think your wrist extension gets better unless you specifically address it. I think it's very similar to um, our shoulder and hip internal rotation because we don't really do anything that addresses those things in our day-to-day life or in most of our um, kind of movement training. Um, You predominantly squat with your knees pulling out and going into external rotation, all that sort of thing. So it's very Mm -hmm. possible for us to just never address those issues. And I think, even if you're on your hands with your wrist at 90 degrees, sure, you might build up the passive flexibility to do that, but you're not actively trying to lift your fingers off the floor. So, um, well, I personally don't anyway. I don't know if somebody else does, but I, don't, I haven't heard of anyone doing that. Um, <laughs> so you're not very likely to specifically address wrist extension um, as a physical quality just with general training, whereas if you train handstands and you train um, some kind of like hanging on a bar, you don't really need to stretch your shoulders so much because you're already kind of working on your shoulder flexion in that sort of range. And sure, you may need extra work there based on how you are as an individual and that sort of thing, but um, you're going to be addressing it in your training to some degree. Um, I just Mm. think there's a few areas that do need specific attention. And um, yeah, I know... There's a, one particular coach on Instagram that loves to talk shit about that sort of work, but whatever, fuck him. He's got a shit handstand, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't care. He can think what he wants, so I'll think what I want. <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, with the wrist extension works, so, yeah, do you, you specifically address that to get that, that 90 degrees? Like, um, yeah, I think, think everyone should always... Yeah, doing um, like strengthening both sides of it. So um, if you kneel on the floor with your palms kind of facing backwards, grabbing the floor, leaning your weight back. So you're going deep into wrist extension and then um, trying to lift your fingers and slowly leaning forwards. um, So you're actively pulling up into wrist extension. So you're strengthening flexion in extension and extension in extension. Mm. and specifically given that some time, um, even if it never gets to the point that you can actively flex your wrist to 90 degrees, uh, I think just building towards that and having that as part of your daily warm up, um, at least for a, a decent period of time is yeah, important. Yeah. Um, nice. Those seem yeah. to be really good tips and, you know, like, yeah, um, Joachim said with the with both sides of the coin, right? That's really important to mm-hmm. to consider. Um, which yeah. I guess brings brings me to this sort of area that I wanted to chat about, which was um, you know you, you two know each other, and you guys have mentioned this sort of uh, gathering or meeting that um, mm-hmm. a group of you guys all did in Bali. I guess yeah. What yep. what happened there? What uh, what inspired that? Maybe take us through the so- story. Yeah, a few years ago, um, there was 
bigger groups of us all training together. Um, and I think me and Harry sort of training together, talking shit and talking about like what we would love to um, sort of go on holidays and do. And like, we love to go on holidays and train and it's cool to go meet people that do what we do and all that sort of stuff. We talked a little bit and then um, we'd had uh, Mike Abbott and Glenn Robson um, train with us a fair bit as well. They're Michael moves and Glenn's just Glenn Robson um, on Instagram. Um, and yeah, sometimes we're all together. Sometimes it was like two of us or three of us talking and, um, we just, I don't know, we just started talking about like how it'd be so cool to like have an event like that. And then one day we're like, well, fuck it. Somebody's going to do it. Why, why don't we just make that us? Like we can do it. Um, and we're really fortunate that Mike was willing to kind of front up the, um, big kind of initial fee because I don't think the rest of us could really afford it. Um, and yeah, we just started like talking about who we wanted and um, like what we were looking for, what the best sort of balance would be, all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, Joachim was probably like, I think the first person that me and Harry said, we're like, yeah, this fucking crazy Belgian muscle scientist, <laughs> like we want, we want him. Um, and yeah, Mikhail, um, I think was number two on the list and um yeah, like, like, not that we valued them more than anyone else. They were just like two guys that we were really sort of pumped to, um, yeah, spend some time with. We could, so, um, yeah, we had such a big variety of people, and uh, yeah, it was a crazy event. I, I still kind of can't believe that we did that. Um, and yeah, I, I would love to do it again. I think um, it's just that. Um, the unsurety, I suppose, like I sort of mentioned to you in the message, um, yeah, financially and all that sort of thing. And like, it may not ever be the same trying to do it again. It could have just been like the right place, the right time, the right people. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool to see, um, like the guys that, um, like Devin, Dom and Joachim kind of, yeah, spent a lot of time over in Bali afterwards cause they met the Nirvana sort of guys when we trained there. Um, and yeah, seeing what other people have done with their businesses and their practices and that sort of thing. It's been really cool and stayed in contact with a lot of them. It's been, um, yeah, really cool to know that we, we did something good. Um, it's just, yeah, nice to know. Yeah. It's amazing that, you know, you guys connected through social media, like, um, arranged this sort of meet, which was, it was more than just a meet, right? You were really exchanging information, learning from each other. and Yeah. Yeah. So the premise of it was we invited people. We said, uh, you make your own way here. Um, we have organized a villa. Here's your, like, what you've got to pay at the villa. You organize your own food. Um, you've got to do the sessions as a group and you've got to, you've got to present something. So we'll, um, yeah, you tell us what sorry, um, you tell us what you want to present and like what you're comfortable teaching people. Uh, we'll put together a timetable and um, that exchange of information is um, what you pay, I suppose. Um, and we all pay each other by yeah, trading knowledge and that sort of thing. Um, and I think those sessions were really good. Um, I think some people were perhaps a little bit out of their comfort zone a little bit with um, like maybe being a little bit intimidated um, with having like a big group of practitioners rather than um, like where you're working with 
beginners and that sort of thing in a general coaching sense it was probably a little bit different like that so um you could see a couple of them were a little bit tested as coaches like that which was good and the sessions were probably more of benefit for them rather than the people doing the session um but then there was others that were very comfortable coaching and we kind of got a lot of that out of that um but so much of it as well was just being around people that are kind of right into their training and um yeah like staying up late at night talking about all sorts of things and yeah it's just a great kind of immersive experience yeah it's always really great when you meet each other sort of um yeah i guess people who are geeking out on the same thing as you right like uh sometimes yeah. it becomes so hard to find when you um dig so deep into a subculture that you're like oh who else is out there doing this sort of stuff yeah one of my um my favorite kind of memories from it was i think um i think it was dom that went in no, no, sorry. It was Devin that went and hung a set of rings and I uh, wanted to do some one arm chin work. And then it was like all the guys kind of smelt like the set of rings being up and like being a little bit competitive about things. And um, <laughs> one by one, you just saw like, because it was kind of around the corner from where everyone was mainly sort of training. And one by one, there was just like an extra guy come around like, oh, some you guys are, what, are you getting a little pump on it here? What are you guys doing up in the rings up here? What's going on? <laughs> and um it was just this, like, I don't know, about 60 minutes of us just being bros and there was no training program. We weren't talking, um, like, specific cues or anything. It was like, just get up on the rings and do some shit. Like, we're trying to do, yeah, whatever was testing us. It was just cool to get up there and just, um, yeah, have a bit of a bro down. It was so funny to just watch everyone slowly coming out of the bushes, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a great day. Yeah, yeah, it um you know, you can never, never be one to back down from a challenge, right? And then show, show yeah. what you're made of. I, th- I think it's a really special moment. Um, but um, David, I'm just uh, mindful of your time because I know that you got to rush off to a class to, to teach soon. So Yeah, it's all good. I'm, I'm happy to talk for 10 minutes or so if you're happy, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for a, a practitioner such as yourself, when you mm-hmm. decide and look to the future, I guess, as to what you want to practice, like, how, how do you decide on things? Like where, where is your practice heading? Whatever just sort of interests me at the time. Um, I don't know. I don't like, I don't really look too much behind me. Then I, I treat the future the same. Like I, I, I wasn't, I'm not the same guy today that I was two years ago and I'm not going to be the same guy in two years that I'm today. So um, if in two years I'm not enjoying hand balancing and I want to do something else with my time and, I want to take up skateboarding and I don't know, learning to be a pilot and that's what I'll go and do. But um, yeah, I don't know, just whatever strikes me, whatever kind of gives me that curiosity, because I think when we're doing anything sort of physical, if there's curiosity there, it provides energy for us. We don't have to actively seek motivation and energy and fight that kind of lethargy to undergo it. I like I like standing on my hands because I'm curious about the process and I, I like the way it sort of feels to learn new things and um, that curiosity just creates energy for you, that energy that just comes from within somewhere. Like, it, yeah, it's not really uh, any different to going and doing any other menial physical task, but because there's a curiosity there, you want to do it. So, like, at the moment, uh, I'm still curious about it learning to stand on my hands better. And so I do it and I'm curious about learning to do a manner. So I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go do it. And um, 
I kind of got like a bit of a itch to do something competitive and like curious as to whether I could juggle all of that and playing AFL. So I'm playing AFL like my rest day. I go and kick a ball around and get smashed into the ground. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I just follow curiosity, I suppose. I, I love that. And that, you know, that is such a flip on maybe sometimes gen pop, which is, you know, you do this workout to get tired and it, kind of takes away your energy right but then you are yeah. right when you approach it with this uh this different mindset when you're really you know jacked and excited to to learn about something like you dive into it and it does generate energy for you yeah i think that's really hard to kind of get across to people to like explain to them that like i'm not a motivated person i I'm not, um, I'm not a super positive person. I don't get out of bed jumping with energy. Like, yeah, let's go. I love today. Like the world's fucking fine and dandy. Um, but I just like, I'm curious about what I do. So I just find myself doing it. Um, like I don't have to watch a motivational video on YouTube and listen to certain music to get me going. It's just like, yeah, it's just, I do it because it's there and I want to do it. Um, and I think people need to find that because we've seen that the typical sort of fitness model and the, in the health kind of world in terms of what we're trying to push people to do, it's not really working. Like we've got more gyms than ever than ever, and we've got the fattest population ever. So um, I think it's time that we approach things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, community-based fitness and um, yeah, following curiosity and following passions Um, which I think is slowly happening in some circles. Like that's why the movement sort of world has happened and all that sort of thing. Like people are just sick of the conventional stuff. Um, I'm like, I don't have anything against a lot of the conventional fitness too. If, if going and having a bigger bench press and a squat and a bicep curl and seeing how fast you can uh, run on a treadmill and that sort of thing breeds the same sort of curiosity for you, then whatever, like, we've got that available to us as humans and that's cool. Like it's not unhealthy for you. Um, I just think if you're trying to slave away and do it, um, then yeah, you probably need to make a change. Mm. Beautifully said, David. And I guess for all those listeners out there, if they're interested in finding out more about you or wanted to shoot you a message, get in touch, what would be the best way? Um, uh, Instagram is probably the easiest one. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think my handle is David A. Marion. I'd have to double check that, but I think it is. I think if you just search my <laughs> name, David Marion, it'll come up. Um, otherwise, I'm always happy if yeah, people send me a message on Facebook. My name's just David Marion on there. It's pretty simple. Um, yeah, those two sort of avenues on social media is probably easiest. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll put those links in the show notes. And yeah, I think if you just search David Marion, just look for the, um, you know, the guy standing on one hand, it's probably... That's it. No, yes. no, probably no other David Marion's out there who, who can do that. So, um, should be, should be pretty easy, but yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to, uh, with you, David, we covered, uh, you know, quite a few things and, you know, really got deep, I think to a, a really good level on handstands, uh, which I haven't heard uh, explained so well from other people. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. And cool, man. thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess uh, whenever these restrictions and stuff open up, um, hopefully we'll be able to get over to Perth and see what's happening over there. Yeah, man, for sure. We uh, obviously got something in the water here because it's um, 
yeah, kind of a, a hot spot in the world, which is yeah, really cool to be a part of, and I'm really enjoying sort of sort of pushing the culture here and um, seeing how it's sort of developing. And uh, it's good that um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of little niches opening up around the rest of Australia as well. Um, and it's yeah, cool when we get the the visitors from over east come and see us. I think a lot of people are pretty jealous of what we got going on. So um, I'm pretty proud of that. It's good. Yeah, well, definitely looking over intently and uh, yeah, hoping soon in the future that we can come over. So thanks, David. Yeah, for sure. It'll be great. No worries. Great to talk to you. That's it. Thanks to David for joining me on that chat. I really enjoyed that one. That was great insight into, I guess, handstand programming. Hope you guys enjoyed that one as well. If you have any questions, like always, just hit me up on Instagram. That's at P, Or you can jump on the new website, which is www.thepassivehang.com. And you can find my details there as well. Remember, if you like this podcast, share it around. It really helps me get the word out. And thanks once again, guys, for joining me.